This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions Podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. How are you? Hope you're well. Where did I leave you last? Ah, it was here. It was the Valentine's Day episode, wasn't it? Uh, I hope you enjoyed that one. Nothing too serious, just a uh, just a bit of fun. Hope you enjoyed your day though. Uh, but if you didn't tune into it or you haven't got around to it yet, it's still there at your podcast provider of choice. Go on, give it a whirl. I guarantee you will learn something. Right then, on to this episode. We are talking lionesses for the first time in a while, uh, and I'll be joined shortly by Rich Laverty. Uh, Usually this time in February, uh, the lionesses will be involved in a small tournament of types. Over the years, it's been the, the Cyprus Cup, the She Believes Cup, or more recently, the Arnold Clark Cup. Not this year, however. With the Nations League having its final and also the playoff matches, the pool of opponents has slimmed down somewhat. Now, there was quite a delay in announcing any details, but finally... On the 1st of February, we had some news. Austria and Italy. Great. Wonder where they'll be. I look closer at the announcement. They're going to be in Spain, in Algarheus, right down near Gibraltar. Dates for your diary are Friday the 23rd of February. That's against Austria and then Tuesday the 27th against Italy. You may remember November 2022, uh, they went to Spain then to play in the Pinatar tournament. Two games against Japan and Norway for what was loosely described as warm winter, warm weather, winter training. Uh, And these couple of games pretty much have that same sort of feel to it. I personally don't like the idea of it. The FA are actively trying to push the women's game at the moment and now it seems they're kind of making it harder to see the national team. I appreciate that many grounds mightn't be available. Wembley, yeah, I think that may have been a tough sell for both of those opponents on a chilly February evening. But I imagine a couple of grounds around the country might have been able to cater for them. The, the Lee Sports Village, home of Manchester United women, um, that hosted a game during the Euros, as did um, Manchester City's Academy ground. I, I think there could have been options, maybe. I mean, fair enough, if you are able to hop over to Spain, I hope you enjoy it, I hope the weather is good. But it's simply not possible for everyone, and it's it's just a bit of a shame. But before I tell you about the latest squad, let's just remember that the girls, they haven't been in action since their game at the beginning of December away to Scotland. That 6-0 away win. Remember that? Uh, but let's just take a look at what's happened since then. 
Uh, we've seen the return of Leah Williamson to the Arsenal side. She's been slowly eased back in, which is good news. Uh, Serena Weigman has extended her contract as head coach of the Lionesses to the end of the 2027 World Cup. And then there was the interesting news on the 15th of February that one of the London Overground lines was to be renamed the Lioness Line. Let me explain. Uh, I'm sure that you're well aware that there is a the maze that is the London Underground Uh, a load of train lines and tunnels that crisscross underneath the city of London. Various lines of colours called the Circle Line, Bakerloo Line, what else we've got, Uh, Victoria Line, loads of them. Well, there is also the London Overground. It came about in 2007, officially as the Overground, but there was a system of sorts in place already before that. Anyway, like the underground, it has lines that crisscross above the city with trains with their orangey look to them. The map is a bit of a mess to the untrained eye and it can be complicated because the lines don't have names like the underground does. We mentioned the Circle, the Bakerloo and the Victoria. That was until now. They have arranged the six overground lines, so they are now colour-coded and named, just like the underground. It makes perfect sense. There is the black line, called the Liberty Line. Mild May Line is blue. Green is the Suffragette Line. Brown is the Weaver Line. Red is Windrush. And then yellow is the Lioness Line. I'll leave you to investigate each of them at your leisure. Some of them are self-explanatory. But the Lioness line goes between Euston to Watford Junction and it runs through Wembley. It honours the historic achievements and lasting legacy created by the England women's football team that continues to inspire and empower the next generation of women and girls in sport. Like I say, I think it's a sensible idea to bring in into line with the underground. But it's fascinating just how many people are triggered by it all. I wonder if it's just the, the lionesses line that people have a problem with. But personally, I think it's a, I think it's a great tribute. And it was actually something that back in 2021, uh, was part of the Merrill Manifesto. So there's no point in getting grumbly about it now. Back then was your time to uh, say, oi, I don't agree with this. Although I guess the 6.3 million rebranding cost will always be a stiff pill to swallow for many. Although I guess if you live outside of London, then you probably don't care so much anyway. Anyway, let's move on to the latest squad that Serena Weigman has selected. It is a 23-player squad that she announced on Tuesday the 13th of February. Let's run through it now. I have it here. Right. Three goalkeepers. Mary Earps, Hannah Hampton and Kiara Keating. Defenders. Lucy Bronze, Jess Carter, Neve Charles, Alex Greenwood, Mayor Letizia, Esme Morgan, Leah Williamson. Leah Williamson is back in the England squad. 
uh, and Lottie Wuben Moy. In midfield, Grace Clinton, Frank Kirby, Jess Park, Georgia Stanway, Ella Toon, and Kira Walsh. And then finally, up front, Rachel Daly, Lauren Hemp, Lauren James, Chloe Kelly, Beth Mead, and Alessia Russo. It's a squad made up from six from Manchester City, five from Chelsea, four from Arsenal, three from Manchester United, two from Barcelona, one each from Bayern Munich, Aston Villa and Tottenham Hotspur. It's one with 884 caps across it, 169 goals and an average age of 25.7 with Lucy Bronze being the eldest, Kiara Keating the youngest. And there are two uncapped players. Keating is one of them and Tottenham's Grace Clinton the other one. As I said, it's great to see Leah Williamson back in the squad. If she stays in it injury-free with Beth Mead, it'll be the first time they've been in the same Lionesses squad since September 2022 when we beat Luxembourg 10-0 at Stoke. Safe to say it's been a, a hell of a journey for both of them since then. You'll notice, though, that there is still no Millie Bright. She's still suffering from a knee injury that she picked up last year, which forced her to miss the Netherlands and the Scotland matches. Obviously, in, in Williams' absence, she was captain. She was captain throughout the World Cup, wasn't she? Um, and in Bright's absence in those two Nations Leagues games, uh, Mary Earps was actually captain. I wonder if... I, I don't know if... Feigman is going to start Williamson in both these games or she ease her in. Uh, I wonder if maybe Earps and Williamson will share the armband in these upcoming games. Don't know. We, we shall see. Now, time for the, the little edited bit in. As I'm sure you've heard, since the squad was announced, Leah Williamson has since withdrawn from it following a hamstring injury. Or, as what Arsenal manager Jonas Eideveld said, was a really minor injury. Now, she didn't play a part in the Arsenal victory over Manchester United. It's a shame, as the journey appeared to be coming along really nicely. But it is better to be safe than sorry with regards to any injury. So, in place of Williamson comes Manchester United's Millie Turner. She's yet to be capped, but has been part of the senior squad before. You may remember she came in for Millie Bright in those fixtures against the Netherlands and Scotland last year. So maybe she'll get a chance this time around to get a place on the pitch. Now, before we chat with Rich Laverty, let's just take a look at our previous with both Austria and Italy. Austria who we've played nine times since 2005. We've won each of them, scoring 25 in the process and only conceding the one. Of course, we met them on our way to winning the Euro finals a couple of years ago, winning by goal to nil down in Brighton. In Italy, well, we last met them in the Arnold Clark Cup last year, winning 2-1. But in total, we've met on 32 occasions winning 12, drawing 6 and losing 14. 
Although it has to be said that many of those defeats were back in the 80s and 90s. So I think probably with with Italy and Germany, they're probably, off the top of my head, probably the only opponents that are winning and losing amounts uh, favours more in the opponents. I'll have to look into that one. pleasure as always to welcome back to the three lions podcast rich laverty hey rich hi mate you okay very well thanks been a while yeah it's the it's about the only break you get from international football isn't it over the uh over the winter yeah i guess it is yeah um i, I guess after all those games last year obviously with the the world cup then there was the the nation's league six games in that um and yeah you get a little break um, and and here we are again now. Actually, before by the time we get to the end of the conversation, I just wanted to touch on the on the the Nations League finals. If you can explain a few things, but yeah, let's let's talk the lionesses, Austria and Italy coming up in in Spain. What do we make of this being played in Spain? Now I know they played these a couple of games in Spain a couple of years ago, but I'm not sure I agree with it. Do you? Um. It's an interesting... Like, yeah, there seems to be a few teams going to Spain. Um, okay. I mean, obviously, Austria and Italy are, or else we wouldn't mm. be playing. But I think, like, sure, I've seen there's others. Might be Switzerland, might be Denmark, someone like that. I'm not sure. Everyone seems to be uh, converging on Spain. I don't know. I, I think teams always want the warm weather, don't they? Like, yeah. teams go off over the winter and have warm weather camps. I think some of the big WSL teams have even started doing it. Like, Chelsea went off to... I think was it Morocco um so yeah I think yeah listen the travel I mean look it's not not the most strenuous travel in the world going to Spain <laughs> but um yeah I think the teams want they all want the warm weather don't they I think it just helps with with all the the preparation and the physical stuff you know warm the muscles up a little bit more um so yeah and they obviously they found a good facility as well, and, and they've got the twenty threes going over there with them, um, which is good, you know, to to bring those closer together. So yeah, look, I don't know. It'd be nice to have games at home, of course it would for for fans and whatnot, but I'm sure we'll have plenty of them uh, through the year. So I get it, you know, I I get that the teams want prefer warm weather camps um, compared to what England at the end of February offers them um, weather-wise at the minute. So, uh, yeah, I think it's sort of means to an end, isn't it, a little bit? Yeah, yeah. but it's, uh, I didn't realise that there were there were more teams playing um, over there. Well, obviously we've played Austria and Italy fairly recently. Um, the, as I said in the, the intro, there's a bit of a sort of slim pickings as to who who's available to play? What do we make of most Austria and Italy? Yeah, I feel like Austria are very familiar opponents now. I feel like we play Austria every week. Um, we've played them in various qualifiers. We've played them in friendlies. We played them in the Euros. Um, yeah, they're, they're. I mean, listen, I don't know how England select their opposition. Um, whether it's who's available, obviously this. Camp, I imagine it was very slim pickings just because obviously 
you've got the Nations League finals. So that obviously ruled out Spain, Netherlands, France, Germany. The North South American sides have obviously got the Gold Cup going on in the next couple of weeks. So they've got their own tournament. And then even within the Nations League, you know, you've got League A relegation playoffs and promotion playoffs and things like that. So, yeah, there was probably very, probably more than any other camp, I imagine, really only a select few teams were actually available. Um, Yeah, they're not games that roll off the tongue as potential thrillers. No. Uh, but you know, like I said, it's means to an end. They offer they offer a test, and, and listen, they're good teams. You know, they're not going to be be walkovers. Obviously, played Italy at, at Arnold Clark last year, so yeah, it's. Um, I think it's just about getting back up to speed, mate, for the year. Obviously, it's a slightly different year for England in that they don't have a major tournament. Um, obviously, last year it was all planning and prep for the World Cup. The year before that was the Euros. Obviously, Team GB aren't going to be at the the Olympics no. so I think it's just getting the squad back together mate doing what they can do and full steam ahead for when the the Euro qualifiers start you know um, in a few months time so in in that respect do you think Serena will be trying a few new things out with the the players I mean obviously a lot of the players are, are quite familiar to us but maybe trying Trying in a few different formations or, or faces. I see we've got um, Grace Clinton is is in the uh, in the squad yet to be capped as is Kiara Keating, and we've got Malatissier still on. Well, she's got two caps. Jess Park on five. Can we see sort of maybe them getting a little bit of game time? Possibly. I, I think. Listen, if you're ever going to do it, these are the games you probably yeah. get an opportunity to. Um... It's a tough one with Serena because, like, you know, she has shown a little bit more willingness in the past 12 months to change things. I mean, listen, she she ripped the formation up midway through the World Cup, which, you know, was very un-Serena-like compared to what we've seen 12 months before at the Euros. So I don't think she'll want to make massive wholesale changes. Listen, like I said, she's got a little bit more. This is the first time where she's going to have a proper 18-month run into a tournament. Um, we, obviously the the Euro she came in less than 12 months before when she replaced, well, Hagarisa technically at the time. And, and then obviously straight after Euros, you know, you were less than 12 months to a World Cup. So without the Olympics to look at, you know, she's got a proper run into this next tournament on the basis, obviously, that in qualify um, to look at things. And I don't think she'll make massive changes, but, you know, there were things in the performances of the Nations League games and, and even back at the World Cup, like I still think there is definitely a perception of England never really hit their stride during that World Cup, even though they got to the final. Yeah. Um there were things in the performances that, you know, they got away with a little bit at times. I mean, they could have gone out on penalties in, in the second round. Mm. Um and listen, yeah, the Nations League, I think, again, exposed a few things that aren't quite working at the moment. So I think it's good for her and the staff to have that, like I said, a proper run-in now. It's a strange one because, obviously, before you'd look at qualifiers that, you know, start in a few months and and sort of go, well, you know, okay, you're going to be playing, uh, I don't know, you're going to be playing Luxembourg or, you know, Malta or Estonia or something like that. It's obviously not the case now with, with the new the new format, even though it's not technically the Nations League it's the it's the Euro qualifiers it's going to follow the same format so 
you're going to be playing the sort of elite level teams again, which, like I said, doesn't hold out a lot of room for experiment. You know, you can't really, if you're in a group where, you know, if it was similar to last time, you know, you take as example, obviously Netherlands, Scotland, Belgium, you don't get an opportunity really to experiment in those games, but it also probably sets you up a lot better in terms of you probably having to play your best 11 every game and, and really forge that in ahead of the Euro. So it'd be interesting to see how it goes. Obviously it's, it's, that's all new for everybody in terms of a qualification campaign for a tournament that you're not going to be playing the so-called minnows um, of Europe anymore. So yeah, I think these two games are sort of important for that, but I also think she'll have gone away over the winter and, and had a lot, a look at a lot of things and, it'll be interesting to see what they try to put in place to rectify it because I do think whilst England naturally will still win a lot of games with the players they've got at the moment, that there are things to to work on and this is essentially now the start of, of a new cycle. So It all starts here. I mean, you mentioned her sort of going away over the, the winter period and doing a research and thinking on one of those things that came out quite recently was the fact that she's extended her contract to the end of the 2027 World Cup. So that gives us a, a lot of sort of stability going forward, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think it was sort of a, I don't know if it was a worst kept secret kind of thing. I think it was always that, that she was going to extend. It was just a matter of sort of when she was going to do it. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you like you look at the pool of players and, I don't think it's a case of this is a team that's coming towards the end of end of an era. I think we probably had that feeling maybe actually when Serena came in that we had a big chunk of players, you know, we had a, a massive spate of retirements over that couple of years and, yeah. and that's culminated with the Euros and Jill Scott retiring, Ellen White retiring, you know, Kaz Carney retired the year before and Karen Bardsley, people like that, Carly Telford and, you know, this squad now you know, you look at them and there's there's not many players even over the age of 30. You know, you've probably got Lucy Bronze, Rachel Daly that are over 30. I think you've got a couple knocking around that are either just turned 30 or, or just below. But yeah, I mean, you've got a core of a squad there. You know, when you look at, you know, your Lauren Jameses and Lauren Hemp, Kelly, Russo, like you mentioned, Grace Clinton, Jess Parks back in the squad, you know, Letitia, people like that, that, you're gonna go, you're gonna make up a big part of your squad over the next three four years. So, I think Serena probably looked at that and said, "Do you know what? This squad's actually probably gonna get better um, before it gets worse." And yeah, I think if she'd looked after 2025 and said maybe 2025 is the end of the cycle, maybe she'd have moved on. But it very much isn't. Um, I think this squad will probably a lot of these players will probably be peaking around 2027. And yeah, the magic number, isn't it? I wrote this a few weeks ago. I mean, you've got Emma Hayes. She'll be out of contract with the US in 2027. Beth Priestman at Canada's just signed a new deal to 2027. Casey Stoney obviously got linked with Chelsea, got linked with England. She's extended her San Diego contract to 2027. So uh, yeah, 2027, there might be a bit of a managerial uh, roundabout going on. Be an interesting time then, won't it? Uh, I mean, you mentioned all, all those names there. Um, that within the squad, the the one that you didn't mention was Leah Williamson. I mean, how how good is that to see her back in the the squad? I know Arsenal have eased her back in gently. 
Yeah, yeah. Apologies to Leah because it's crazy. You don't really class Leah as a best <laughs> friend anymore, which is depressing in a way because I remember meeting Leah when she was 16 and she must be, <laughs> I mean, she's what, 26 now? I think 27 this year. Yeah. So, yeah, it's mad when you think of Leah as one of the experienced players in the squad now, but she probably is, to be fair. Um, time moves very quick. But yeah, listen, it's um, it's good to have her back. Obviously, you know, she was the captain. Whether she takes on the captaincy again, obviously don't know. Millie Bright's out, so there'll be a conversation to have around that. But yeah, listen, she brings brings back in a lot of quality as well in terms of her defensive ability, her ability to play out from the back. You know, she is a natural leader as well, which I do think England have missed at times. I'm not saying Millie isn't. I just think Leah just had a, a way. Um, but yeah, listen, good to have these players back, mate. Obviously, you know, Beth Mead's finding a, a bit of form again. Um, whether she ever refines the form she was in before. I mean, the form she was in before, you know, for Arsenal and England was ridiculous. I mean, the Euro was to come out of a major tournament and not just be the top scorer, but be the top for assists as well in, in a major tournament is pretty unprecedented. Um, but yeah, good to have Leah back. It's another option. You know, England don't have a dearth of, of centre-backs, certainly not experienced ones with loads of caps. You know, I think Esme Morgan, Wubben Moy, Letizia, I think they're all experienced, but probably have, what, 20 caps between them or something like that. Um and it just gives options as well. Obviously, she's played in a back four. Obviously, Serena's moved at times to a back three. I've no doubt Leah would, would be able to slot into that, no problem. Um, so, yeah, it's another body. It's another quality option. And uh, it's always good, mate, you know, to see people come back from a long-term injury because it does go very quick. I'm sure for Leah, it, it felt like it didn't. But, like, I remember being at LSV last year when she went off. And you think, oh my God, you know, here we go. You know, she's going to be out for 12 months. And and then suddenly here we are 12 months later and, and she's back. And it's felt like no time, to be honest, with everything that's happened in, in that period. Like I said, I'm sure it's probably been uh, different for her. But no, it's um, it's good to have her back, mate. Yeah, back fighting fit. Good to, uh, to see her. You mentioned Millie Bright. She's still out injured. Um, I think that's a knee injury. Um, but oh, one player that hasn't made the squad and I noticed that you you wrote a feature on her um was Nikita Paris who's been in in quite good form for United do you want to just sort of explain briefly what that you wrote about was why she hasn't made it into the squad which I found quite interesting yeah I mean listen it's 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 my opinion at the end Mm. of the day and the only person that really knows is, is Serena Beeman but I, I do think, it, and listen, it's not a one-size-fits-all. You know, some people came back at me and went, well, you know, Lucy Bronze is 32 and, and she's in the squad and whatnot. And I get that completely, but we don't have the, the depth of options where Lucy Bronze is. Like, if someone can give me a an option at right-back that's better than Lucy Bronze at the moment, then, you know, so be it. But I look with Keats, you know, I just think it, international football, mate, it moves very quick. And in that attacking area at the moment, you know, You've got Chloe Kelly, you've got Lauren Hemp, you know, who are kind of locking those positions down. Beth Mead's back in the fray. You know, Lauren James can play those roles. Rachel Daly can play those roles. You know, we've even seen Jess Park at time play out wide. So it's a tough one in terms of straight away, who do you take out? But it it was kind of about the fact, yeah, that international cycles and, and club form don't always correspond because when Keats came back from Leon, 
and she signed for Arsenal, she had a pretty torrid season. It which, didn't really work, did it? No, and, and it, it wasn't always necessarily her fault. I just don't think she fitted into their way of playing or their system. And, and she scored one league goal all season, but she was a regular in the England squads because at that point, you know, she was a, a big part of, of the team. You know, she was in a sort of peak year. She was 26, 27. Um, she'd been in the squads, you know, for a long time. And, you know, she had that experience. She had that know-how. But in the right system, I think everyone knew she still brought quality. And people were saying, well, why is she being called up? You know, she's not playing well for Arsenal. But not playing well for Arsenal doesn't mean you can't play well for England. You know, they're two different teams, two different managers, two different systems, two different styles. Um, and now, yeah, listen, the, the irony is obviously now she's flying. You know, she's at Man United and she's got eight league goals this season. She's one of the top scorers in the league. And and what well, England have kind of moved on. Like I said, this is another cycle now. And, you know, Keats is, is 30, I think, this year. And just with the depth of options of players younger than her, like, Again, you know, people, well, well, Jess Park's been called back up. You know, she's not even started a league game this season. And I get that. But she's in a different position in terms of a role on the field. But, yeah. you know, like you say, Serena's here till 2027. And the thing that I think people don't always think about with international football is it's not about the here and now necessarily. Like, yes, we have two friendlies this month, but it's part of a bigger... It's not about beating Austria and beating Italy. Like, it's about the Euros, which is in 18 months' time. So for me, I think an international manager's always looking at that, always going, what's my squad going to be in 2025? and the re- Or even in 2027. The reality is Jess Park's 22. You know, she's only going to get better and better. And clearly, I think Serena sees her as a big part of the squad. Keats, she probably doesn't. You know, Keats will be won by the Euros and, and 33 by the World Cup and like I said you know there's a lot of players in those positions now that, that are sort of nudging her out I'm sure listen if something happened to one of them I think Keats would be absolutely back in and that does happen and I used the example of Laura Coombs you know in uh, in the article she's not in this squad but you know Laura went eight years you know yeah. without an England call up and then suddenly there was an opportunity last year she was playing well at Man City and she got back in the squad and she ended up going to a World Cup, you know. So there's definitely, I'm not ruling Keats out of the England squad forever, but I just think, I think people put too much weight on club form. Like national team manager, they want consistency as much as anyone, mate, you know. And yeah. if, if you're calling up, you know, if there's one batch of players in form now and then suddenly they come back together in April for qualifiers and there's another batch of players in form, what do you do? Do you just keep picking players based on there and then or? You know, do you do you stick with a consistent squad? And I think any manager wants a consistent squad. So there's always wriggle room within that. Of course there is, but I don't see how it benefits Serena if she keeps chopping and changing the squad for eighteen months and then you turn up at the Euros and you're like, Well, what 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 are we doing? Like that squad. At the end of the day, I think realistically you look at the squad she's picked for this camp, I don't think it'll look massively different in eighteen months' time when they go to Switzerland. I think apart from you know, potentially one or two, you know, see what happens with someone like Ellie Roebuck, for example, obviously Millie Bright, you know, to come back in when she's back fit. But in reality, mate, genuinely, I look at that squad right now. And if you said to me, that's the 23 that will go to Switzerland, apart from Millie Bright and maybe Roebuck, depending on, on her next move, it wouldn't shock me whatsoever. So 
I think uh, I don't think that national team football is the same as club football for me. It's just spread out a lot more. Yeah. Uh, a coach wants consistency. They want to be able to call on the same players and work with the same players and build that system and build that style of play. And unfortunately, in a way, once you're out, you're kind of out and, and history shows that it's very hard to get back in unless you're presented with an opportunity. Um, so, yeah, listen, Keats was one example of it, but there's been many, many others over the years and there'll be many in years to come. But yeah, I just think people generally put a little bit, form's important, of course it is, but I don't think it's the be-all and end-all when it comes to international selection. Yeah. No, it's very much looking at the at the bigger picture um, going forward. And yeah, I, I just thought it was quite a, quite a thought-provoking article and sort of when you when i read it i was like actually yeah i get i get i do cry every now and again (laughs) no it's good you can you can obviously find all all your stuff over on substack um it's 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 good good stuff there um like i said just at the beginning just want to touch on the the nation's league finals because this is the first finals as such for the women's game the only thing i've got to compare it uh with is is the men's finals and how they done that there was the first one i remember going to portugal when england were in it this is obviously the men's um then they had i think they had one in spain um and they may have had one in the netherlands um i can't remember which way around they were but i'm looking at the finals of this one and they're spreading it around two countries or or three countries sorry i think is spain and Spain and the Netherlands, I think it's being played in in Spain. Germany and France being played in France, and there's also uh, a Dutch ground, Herenveen, being used. Is this a different format for the the Women's <laughs> Nations League? I'm not going to lie; I haven't paid as much attention to it as I would have done if England were in it. Yeah. But I remember when the draw was made, they said the two teams that got you know drawn at home would play at home in the semi-finals, which obviously was Spain and oh. France. I believe it was something along the lines of, I think whoever wins gets to host the final, essentially. So like that, there, I, I know they picked a ground for the final in Spain. Um, so maybe if it's the Netherlands, maybe that's where the Dutch ground comes in. Right. The team that won that first semi-final would host the final. So yeah, I think they've essentially done it. Don't quote me on it because like I said, I'm not as clued up on it as I, as I would be. But yeah, basically that there's some kind of the team plays at home or whatever. Um, I can't remember where the final got picked, but I definitely remember seeing that a ground in Spain got selected. Um, I actually think it's the, the same one as the semi-final. I think the semi-final was meant to be somewhere else for whatever reason they couldn't use it. So I think it's been put in Seville, yeah, uh, which is where I think the final would be if Spain win. Don't quote me on the here and Veen one, but that might be where the final is if the Dutch win. Um, right. I think the bigger thing for me, mate, to be fair, I mean, it's the Nations League. Yeah, it's a trophy. I'm sure they want to win it, but it's Olympic qualification, isn't it, at the end yes. of the day? That's what they're all after. Obviously, France are there. So, you know, if they win their semi-final, whoever goes into the third-place playoff, at least they get another go. Um, I do think, as it stands, France might beat Germany, to be fair. Um Spain Netherlands would be interesting. Like Spain are obviously best team in the world at the yeah. minute. Netherlands have had a knack under Andres Jonker that they've been very tough to beat 
and obviously Spain Netherlands was a very close game at the World Cup. Um, I will be keeping a close eye on them. You know, I wish England were in it because I would have loved to have seen Team GB at the Olympics. I interviewed Daphne van Domselaar yesterday, the Dutch goalkeeper, and reminded her in no uncertain terms that I was not bitter whatsoever. <laughs> um, it was obviously a very thrilling end. Like she actually said to me, it was the scariest game of football she's ever been involved in. Oh, really? Literally, obviously, they scored in the last minute mm. and then we scored. And then suddenly it was England were going back through. And then obviously they scored again. Um, so it is what it is. Listen, you at the end of the day, however you finish top, you're the team that deserves to go through. Yeah. Like I said before, I think there was definitely things through that that tournament that England probably didn't deserve in the end to to finish top of the group. Um, so yeah, they'll be to listen. The, the the great thing, mate, that I've really enjoyed, and again I said about it in the the Euro qualifiers bit with the Nations League is I never enjoyed. You know, I remember watching England beat Latvia twenty nil. You know, a couple of years ago, and I just don't like, who I don't get who enjoys that. Like you know, and I've really enjoyed watching actually England play the Netherlands. You know, and and England play Scotland, and you know, in other groups you had Spain, Sweden, and you know France, Norway, and things like that. And and now we've got two great matchups. Um, in the semi-finals, and and whatever happens, we'll have two great matchups in in the third place playoff and the final. Um, so, yeah, I am sort of on the Nations League train a little yeah. bit. It's been a, a a very welcome addition in terms of the competition that it's and and throughout the levels, mate. Like even <clears throat> you know those teams like Latvia now, you know they get a real chance at actually winning football games and actually being promoted and. You know, the teams that come up to League B, you know, suddenly you're going to be playing the teams that got relegated from League A and, mm. and you're getting that bigger test that you've earned, you know, through promotion. So, yeah, I'm I'm kind of all for it, mate. And, and obviously it'd be interesting again during the qualifiers because it follows the same format. But yeah, in terms of your original question, <clears throat> I can't say for sure. But yeah, I think um, I think essentially it was about teams just playing at home, uh, depending on who were drawn where. But I definitely know if Spain win that the finals in Spain. Well, we shall uh, we shall watch this space and we shall. Uh, is your money on Spain? Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it it sounds boring, doesn't it? But you know, they've got home advantage. They just have their way of of playing. Um, I don't think it'll be easy. I think the Dutch will make it tough for them. Um, and I think. Whether it's France or Germany, that look, Costa are going to make it tough for them. They've got elite level players, but yeah, listen, if you gave me twenty quid and said, "Who's your money on them?" I'd probably lean towards Spain um, at the moment. And I, I kind of, you know, I, I'm one of those like I, I love the, the 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 underdog stories, but I think you want to see Spain are the world champions at the end of the day, and and I think you want to see them at the Olympics. So. Yeah, I think uh, it would be a big surprise if we didn't see Spain at the Olympics, let's put it that way. Yeah, well, we, we shall see. Uh, obviously, the Olympics coming up in what's that, late late August time, I think. Um, we yeah, see. I think it's reasonably late this year. Um, I was having a look at it the other day, trying to do some potential logistic planning. But I think it's end of July. It's like the very end of July, like into August, I think, something like that. So... Uh, Obviously, it's a bit shorter than a major tournament. It only lasts for a couple of weeks, and it's not actually Paris. Like it's just not when when you football, it is not Paris. Like there's a very small chunk of it's actually in Paris. So, 
I kept thinking like, oh, if I go to the Olympics, there'll be less travel than a major tournament, but there absolutely will not be. <laughs> Still plenty of time to change your mind, mate. I know. It's like spread around the whole country again, like the world. Like I've done, I was talking to someone about this the other day because I've done, I think of the four major tournaments I've done abroad outside of the Euros here. Three of them have been in France. Uh, so it keeps drawing me back in. Must be something about the wine and the cheese there that you like. I don't. I don't, I don't even drink. It's <laughs> just they just seem to keep putting tournaments in France. Well, keep us informed um, of your decision, and then maybe we can maybe we can catch up as and when you're out there. Yeah, no worries, mate. Rich, thanks as always, and uh, yeah, we'll speak again soon. No worries, pal. Thank you, mate. Thanks to Rich there. Been too long. Uh, always good to chat with him, though. You can read his thoughts on his Substack pages online. Uh, and, of course, he's on Twitter at Rich J. Laverty. Now, of course, we mentioned Leah Williamson. That was recorded before the news came out that she'd withdrawn from the squad and before we knew that Millie Turner was in. Uh, and we also spoke about the Nations League finals there. Just to clarify, it's being contested by the Netherlands, France, Germany and Spain. Spain play the Netherlands in Seville. Then France play Germany in Lyon. Heron Vane uh, in the Netherlands is looking to be a host for either the final or the third place match. Either way, though, in my eyes, there seems to be a lot of unnecessary travel going on there and you compare it to the to the men's nations league finals uh, then of course there is the added bonus of the winners going to the olympics if it's france then it'll be the runners up what with france hosting the olympics and also before i leave you let's just elaborate on the euro 2025 qualification campaign that rich mentioned the draw for it takes place on the 5th of March and this time is more of a Nations League style than the traditional qualification that you may be more familiar with. On paper and in theory it seems quite straightforward. There will be the top four A-leagues and they'll all play six matches beginning in April. Uh, They'll all play six matches beginning in April Match days 1 and 2 in April, 3 and 4 in May and June, have 5 and 6 in July. Now, the top two from each A-League will qualify for the 2025 Euros, so that's eight teams. There will then be a selection of playoffs in October, November and December. These will be contested by teams that have finished third in the A-Leagues, also those that finished first and second in Leagues B. Same also applies to those in League C. Now, in total, I, I think there will be seven playoffs, so there will be seven playoff winners. So add those to your eight League A qualifiers, throw in Switzerland as hosts, and you have your full complement of 16 teams. I think it might be best just to wait for it to come round. 
Uh, but there we have it for this episode. Thank you very much for joining me. Just a, a quick mention for the Kofi account. If you'd like to contribute to the hosting and support of the podcast, you are more than welcome to. Um, a few have already done so. You can do so just by heading to co-fi.com forward slash three lions podcast. ko-fi.com forward slash three lions podcast. I mentioned the Valentine's Day episode at the start of the show. That is still available at your podcast provider of choice or Three Lions podcast. Go and have a listen to it. Um, there is a little bit in there about the lionesses. But I'll be back again with you very soon, taking a look back over these two games. I hope you can join me for them. So until then, take care of yourselves. Cheers. Cheers.